You're listening to the audio ministries of First Baptist Church of Troy, Texas. You're invited to join us for live and in-person morning worship every Sunday morning at 1045 a.m. Visit fbctroytx.org for a list of our activity times and family-centered community ministries. Now here's today's message. We're going to continue on in our series uh, as we are going through uh, Christ in the Old Testament. We're going to be in the book of Ezekiel. A wonderful book, a wonderful great book, and I would encourage you, uh, if you have not, to read this book. I know every every week I'm telling you, read this book, and uh, you're going, I'm still not finished with this book. Uh, the, you're still working on kings, all right. Well, as you get, just keep going on through them, and as you read in the Old Testament, look for Jesus you will find him in the Old Testament, folks. Uh, and, and the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, uh, as I was studying in it last week and, and kind of re, uh, regrouping my thoughts about it, uh, uh, it just, it just, it's just such an amazing book. Ezekiel is just an amazing book. Uh, as a prophet of God during the exile. Again, remember, a lot of these that we're talking about, these prophets we're talking about, lived at the same time or approximate time period. They're contemporaries of one another. So there's a lot of overlapping of things that we'll be looking at uh, in, as we look at these prophets. But as a prophet of God uh, during the exile, Ezekiel had a ministry among the captives of Judah who had been carried away to Babylon. So Ezekiel is here in Babylon, okay? And he's a prophet to the folks of Judah, to the, to the Jews who are there. And, and, and God used the Babylonian Empire. We've seen this in some of our studies of the other prophets, that, that God is using the Babylonian Empire as an instrument of judgment against his people because of their unfaithfulness, because of their idolatry, because of their, quite honestly, their evil ways. And so God says, I'm going to punish you. And here's how I'm going to punish you. And the Babylonians came in and they just, they did their thing and they hauled off a bunch of, of the uh, Jews. And uh, so this is God doing this. But even though, the thing is, is even though they had been unfaithful to him, God would never be unfaithful to them. God would never be unfaithful to them. Uh, remember, we saw last week in the book of Lamentations uh, that for the sake of his great name, his covenant faithfulness would remain. He would still bring blessings into the world through the descendants of Abraham. He did not cast them out. He said, I'm still going to do great things through you. Now, I've got to punish you because of what you did and how you have been unfaithful to me, but I'm going to remain faithful to what I said to Abraham, and I'm going to bring somebody through Abraham's line that's going to change the world. That's the major theme right there, basically, of Ezekiel. And again, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do so. And again, look for Christ. Look for Jesus. I guarantee you will find him 
in this book. And you don't have to look all that hard, really. Uh, it's hard to miss him there. Because in Ezekiel, we see many images of Christ. And we're going to look at three of them this morning. And the first one that is just so blatant, it's just right there in your face, is this. You see, you see Christ as the God-man. You see Christ as the God-man. In Ezekiel, in chapter 1, I mean, almost here at the beginning of Ezekiel, you see this. Above the surface was something that looked like a throne made of blue lapis uh, lazuli. And on this throne, high above, was a figure. Got that? Figure whose appearance resembled a what? A man. From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like gleaming amber, flickering like a fire. And from his waist down, he looked like a burning flame, shining with splendor. Ezekiel has a vision. God is giving him a vision. And in the vision, he is encountering who? Jesus. This is Jesus. Ezekiel is seeing and engaging with the pre-incarnate Jesus. In fact, the glory that Ezekiel perceives from this one, from this man that he sees, uh, he equates it to God. All around him was a glowing halo, like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. He's saying, this man that I am looking at, he is God. He is God. Remember, Jesus didn't come. And, and, and this is the big problem. I love Christmas. Understand it. I love Christmas. But there's a problem is so many times we think, oh, Jesus just came. He was just born. That was His beginning. Folks, that wasn't His beginning. Jesus has always been. He didn't just come into existence at His birth in the New Testament. Uh, he has always been because Jesus is... Okay, let's try this again. This is audience participation. I'm making sure you're awake. Jesus is... There you go. And again, that's confirmed in Genesis, the first book we started the series in. And we've seen it throughout the Old Testament where we see the pre-incarnate Christ. In fact, Ezekiel's vision that, that he had was much like the vision that God gave someone else in Scripture. That someone else was John on the island of Patmos when he wrote the book of Revelation. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. And then John writes, he says, and instantly I was in the Spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Sound a lot like Ezekiel we just read, right? 
This person that Ezekiel found himself in the presence of is the same person that John found himself in the presence of, and that is Jesus. That is Jesus. So in Ezekiel, we find the presence of the second person of the Godhead, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, in all of his divine glory. Jesus in Ezekiel is revealed as God who became man. And it's through Jesus that Ezekiel receives the prophecies in this book that I'm going to ask you to read sometime. So we see Ezekiel, or we see Christ as the God-man, but we also see Christ as, as, uh, as someone else, an image of someone else. We see Christ as the Good Shepherd. We see Christ as the Good Shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, he writes this, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fatted animals, but you do not attend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and with cruelty. Whoa! Here we see Ezekiel speaking against the false shepherds. The ungodly leaders who cared only for themselves and not God's people. These were the religious leaders of that time. Those were the shepherds that God had put over the people who were supposed to take care of the people. They should have been those who were speaking for God and leading people to God. But instead, they were speaking for themselves and their glory. And they were lining their pockets with the people's money. Getting rich from the people. As shepherds to the flock that God had entrusted them to, they were fleecing them. And they were taking advantage of them. And Ezekiel warns them, God is angry with them. And then Ezekiel, he wants to tell the people, he wants to assure the people, he wants to comfort the people, and he tells them that a shepherd is coming. That is not going to be like those who took advantage of them. Because every shepherd that came, every priest that came, every um, person that came, religious leader that came, was just the same, the same, the same, taking advantage, taking advantage, taking advantage. And they're going, we don't need any more of this. It's kind of like, politics today right we don't need any more of this let's get something different Ezekiel says hey there's one coming it's not gonna be anything like those who took advantage of you this shepherd coming will be a shepherd that will love you this shepherd coming is one who will take care of you for this is what the Lord God says see I myself will search for my flock and look for them as a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a cloudy and dark day. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them into their own land. 
I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will tend them with good pasture, and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains. There they will lie down in a good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy the fat and the strong. He's talking about the religious leaders there. I will shepherd them with justice. Wow. God is saying that He Himself will be the shepherd. He's going to be the shepherd. Now, get, wrap your mind around this. God is going to be the shepherd. He's the one that's going to do all of this. How's he going to do that? How's he going to do that? Because God is spirit, right? So how's he going to do this? How's he going to accomplish it? And Ezekiel tells us. And this is where we find Jesus. I will appoint over them a single shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. I, Yahweh, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, Yahweh, have spoken. Now, is Ezekiel talking about the literal David here? No, he's not. David died years before. David's dead. He's buried. So it can't be David. What Ezekiel is speaking of here, he is speaking of a descendant of David who would come and would be a good shepherd to the people of God. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. The genealogy of Jesus in, in both Matthew and Matthew 1 and Luke 3 state very clearly that, that, that Jesus' human ancestry is traced through King David. He comes through King David. The Apostle Paul in Romans said this, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news, which he promised long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of who? David, according to the flesh, and who has been declared to be the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness. So Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Ezekiel as being a descendant of David. But what about the shepherd part? Well, Jesus himself said this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Ezekiel is saying said that God would be the shepherd of his people and he then he said but God's going to send a shepherd and that seems like an impossibility God says I am the going to be the one that's going to be the shepherd but then he says I'm going to send someone who's going to be the shepherd so how could this person be both God and man remember the first point right what the world says is impossible, God says is, is possible, and He does it. 
God fulfilled this prophecy of sending a shepherd who is in the line of David and him still being the shepherd himself. He did this through Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. Because remember, Jesus is God. And Jesus was born to this earth through one who was a descendant of David. So through Jesus, who is God, this prophecy is completely fulfilled. So Jesus in Ezekiel is revealed here as the good shepherd who is coming. And then we see Christ as the temple. Christ as the temple. In the last nine chapters of Ezekiel, it contains Ezekiel's vision of a glorious new temple. As you read these chapters, you will come to the conclusion and you'll see that the problem is this vision has never been literally fulfilled. The building of this temple. The, the temples that were built by Zerubbabel and then by Herod don't even come close to the glory, the majesty, the dimensions that Ezekiel's prophecy mentions of the temple that's going to be built or the temple that's going to come. So what is this temple? Or rather, I would like to think, who is this temple? When the temple was complete in Ezekiel's vision, Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord returning by the way of the east gate. The same direction it had left, the, the glory of the Lord had left the temple when he had left the city, and it filled the house of the Lord. Ezekiel here says, And I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. His voice sounded like the roar of mighty waters, and the earth shone with his glory. The vision I saw was like the one I had seen when he had come to destroy the city and like the ones I had seen by the Chebar Canal. I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple by way of the gate that faced east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the inner court and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, some might say that this is a literal temple right here that Ezekiel is talking about where animal sacrifices will once again be offered over and over and over again for the forgiveness of sin because that's what they did. You brought the animal, you sacrificed for the forgiveness of sin. Then you'd have to come again, sacrifice an animal for the forgiveness of sin. And I do believe, please understand, I do believe that Scripture teaches that the temple is going to be rebuilt in the end times. I firmly believe that and that the Jews will begin animal sacrifices once again. But my question to you is, does there really need to be sacrifices offered over and over and over again for the forgiveness of sin? No. No. Animal sacrifices are no longer sufficient for the forgiveness of sin. 
I believe that this passage we looked at points to a greater temple to come. Yes, there may be a physical temple that's going to be built that Ezekiel is dealing with, but I believe that there's another temple that is in mind here, a greater temple to come. And this temple will be inhabited by the fullness of the glory of God. This temple is Jesus. This temple is Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of the glory of God. Folks, the coming of Jesus and His crucifixion, it fulfilled, it replaced, it annulled the temple by Jesus offering Himself as a perfect sacrifice once and for all, once for all people we don't need a temple we got jesus he is the temple if you will in the book of hebrews we find this every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time after time which can never take away sins but this man who's this man after offering one sacrifice for sins forever set down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, oh yes, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Wow. Jesus is the temple. You say, now wait a minute. Aren't you stretching this a little far? Well, let's see. Jesus answered, destroy this sanctuary, temple, and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this sanctuary took 46 years to build. And again, they're speaking of the temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he, and the he is who? Was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. The temple of his body. Jesus is the cornerstone of the temple that is being built even today, folks. You might say, now wait a minute, the temple's being built today? Yes, the temple's being built today. And the good thing is, you're part of it. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building being put together by him grows into a holy, what? Sanctuary in the Lord or temple. You're part of the temple. Jesus is the cornerstone. You're part of the building of that, what he is building. And then in 1 Peter, you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Just let that sink in for a moment. You yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There is no longer a need for a temple to come into the presence of God. 
and to find forgiveness of sin. That's how they had to do it. That's how the Jews had to do it. That's how anyone had to do it. Back in that day, you went to the temple with your sacrifice. That's the only way you could come into the presence of God and find the forgiveness of sin. But you know what? God, that temple that they were going to and they're taking the sacrifices to, that temple, God never meant it to be what they made it to be, just you know, a place where they came and did that. The temple of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. It pointed to the temple to come. It pointed to you. It pointed to me. It pointed to the cornerstone. It pointed to Jesus. Jesus is that temple. Jesus is that sanctuary in which we find forgiveness of sin once and for all through His sacrifice on the cross. And if a temple was necessary, folks, I guarantee you there'd be one place where there would be a building that you would have to come and worship. And that's in heaven. But guess what? There's no need for a temple in heaven. I did not see a sanctuary in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. Jesus in Ezekiel is revealed as the ultimate temple to come 600 years before his incarnation. Wow. Did we find Jesus in Ezekiel? <laughs> you bet we did. In Ezekiel's vision, he, he sees first of all the uh, the. Jesus being revealed as the heavenly God-man, the divine one who would come, who would become, excuse me, who would become a human being. And as Jesus walked on the earth, he was 100% human, but he was also 100% God. He was the God-man, the second person of the Trinity. Secondly, Ezekiel prophesies that there's going to be one coming who will be revered as the good shepherd, who will give his life for God's people. And that someone is Jesus. And then lastly, Ezekiel sees the work of Jesus represented by a glorious temple. And this just adds to the revelation of other prophets and patriarchs that we have seen uh, that, that, showed that, that present Jesus as a cornerstone, a ransom sacrifice, a scapegoat, the Passover lamb, our high priest. He is also our temple. Yes, <laughs> in Ezekiel, in these verses we looked at, we find Jesus. And if you'll read this great book, I promise you this, you're going to see him in so many more places. Jesus in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel. Let me ask you to bow your heads in prayer. A little over 2,000 years ago, 
Jesus. This one whom Ezekiel saw 600 years before, so about 2,600 years ago. came to this earth as a baby, born of the Virgin Mary. He came because you and I have a problem. We have a sin problem. And sin has to be punished. We see this in in how God deals with the Israelites and how He punishes them in their sin when they stray from Him. Sin has to be punished. But the problem is God knew that the sacrifice of animals was not sufficient. It couldn't fully cover the sin of the person. There had to be another sacrifice. And so God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, came to this earth, gave up the glories of heaven to be born as a little baby to grow up and walk in this earth just as you and I have to. He experiences the, experienced the same thing that you and I experienced. He experienced pain. He experienced sickness. He experienced people laughing at him. He experienced all the stuff that you and I have had to experience. But Scripture says he was without sin. But see, folks, what this means is we have a God who understands. He understands what you're going through. He understands then what you need. And He came because He saw sin and how it was destroying mankind. And He came so mankind would not have to be destroyed. And Jesus came and lived a perfect life. Not one sin. Because if He even had one sin, then someone was going to have to come for Him. As a sacrifice. And he came as the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. And he died on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. He paid the price for your sins and my sins. The thing is, you've got to accept that sacrifice. You've got to accept it. He he came, he did it for you, it's there, but you've got to say yes to it, I want it. Or you say... That's okay. I'll pay the price myself. Jesus doesn't want you to do that. He came. He's the good shepherd. He wants to love you. He wants to help you. He wants to guide you. He wants you to be one of his flock. He wants you as the perfect temple to find the the fullness of forgiveness of sin through Him. And all you have to do is ask. Just pray a simple prayer. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, today would you pray just this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm asking You to forgive me of my sins. Today, I want You to be my Good Shepherd. I'm trusting in You, Jesus, as the ultimate temple to once and for all forgive my sins. I believe that you left heaven and came to this earth and you died for me so I can know your forgiveness. And today I again, I accept it and ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you from this day forward.
Now, you may say, man, Harlan, I didn't get all those words. It's okay. It's not the words that save you. It's whether or not you really mean it. Just something like that. If you pray and you really mean it and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior and to forgive you of your sins, I promise you, according to His Word, He will do it. Not might, not may, but will. And He has become your Good Shepherd today. And we'd invite you during our invitation time to just step out into the aisle and come forward and take me by the hand and say, man, preacher, I prayed that prayer. Harlan, I prayed that prayer. Maybe you've got a question, man. Just say, I got a question. Okay, we'll set time. We'll talk. Don't leave here without doing that. Please don't. Trust me, it's not worth it. Maybe you're here today and you're a believer and Your walk just hadn't been the walk that God would have you to have. You've wandered away from Him. Maybe today you might need to come to this altar and just kneel in prayer or have me pray with you and recommit your life to Jesus. After you've seen, man, look who Jesus is. How can can we not follow Him? Satan draws us away, but he... The good shepherd wants you to come back. And trust me, you can't ever get so far away, he will not welcome you back. Would you recommit yourself to him? Maybe you're here today and the Lord's laid on your heart some other decision. Maybe it's uh, to be a part of this church. We'd invite you to come and, and say, man, I want to join this church. And, and uh, we'll go through what needs to be done. Whatever God's laid on your heart. Whatever it is, please do it for Him. Look at what He's done for you. Father God, thank You for this wonderful book of Ezekiel. Lord, thank You for us seeing Jesus. The God-man. Jesus is God. Sitting on that throne. Worried about us. Even before the incarnation. Father, as we see Him as the Good Shepherd who wants to love us and care for us and bring us into His flock, Lord, thank You for that. And Lord, especially thank You for the fact that He is the ultimate temple in which forgiveness is completely found. And we never have to worry about sacrifices again. For the sacrifice was once for all mankind. And Lord, that includes us. So Lord, if there's anyone here who's not accepted that sacrifice, Father, today I pray they would. Father, for Christians that need to recommit their lives, Father, please, Lord, touch their hearts. Holy Spirit, just move and touch their hearts. And Father, for any other decision that needs to be made, oh, Father, I pray it would be made for Your glory. Holy Spirit, this is Your time. Move amongst us. Convict us, speak to us of what we need to do for you. For it's in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. We'd like to personally thank you for taking the time out of your day to hear our latest message. Do us a favor and send an email to outreach at fbctroytx.org to let us know that you heard us and what you thought of the message. Remember to visit fbctroytx.org to learn more about how we support our local community Again, thank you for listening.